Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. This shy young noblewoman was plucked from obscurity and shoved onto the world stage with very little warning. She had a troublesome mother-in-law and found that the limelight was a difficult place for her to live. But her beauty and genuine concern for the common people made her into a beloved, if reluctant, icon. Her untimely death shocked the whole world. The end. Let's talk about Empress Sissy of Austria. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1837, Princess Alexandrina Victoria became Queen Victoria and began her 63-year reign. Michigan was admitted as the 26th U.S. state, and Chicago became incorporated as a city. Then, just a serial novel, Charles Dickens' Oliver Twist was first published. Candlemaker William Proctor and his brother-in-law, soap maker James Gamble, founded Proctor & Gamble Company. Charles Louis Tiffany and his friend, John Young, opened a New York City stationery and fancy goods emporium. 16 years later, it would change its name to Tiffany & Company. Pharmacists John Lee and William Perrins began manufacturing Worcestershire sauce. King Gustav IV of Sweden, King William IV of the United Kingdom, and Queen Wilhelmina of Prussia all died. Future President Grover Cleveland, future tycoon J.P. Morgan, and future showman cowboy Bill Hickok were born. And in 1837, future Empress Sissy entered the world. Duchess Elizabeth Amelie Eugenie in Bavaria was born on Christmas Eve, 1837, the fourth of the ten children of Duke Maximilian Joseph in Bavaria and Princess Ludovica of Bavaria. Mama's brother was the king of Bavaria. Her sister was the queen of Prussia. There's a big difference between of versus in. Is that crazy? Yes. Like of equals higher rank-ish. Mm -hmm. And in is a notification that you are a member of a junior branch of a ruling family. The Wittelsbachs, that's Papa's family, had been the bosses of Bavaria since the year 1180. I mean, that's an old family. <laughs> so the fact that you're an in of a family that old uh, really means something because Mama is a daughter of the first king of Bavaria. So her family is not that ancient. At least not officially. Yeah, an in or an of. Yeah. So, Papa, do we want to talk about Papa? Sure. Papa Max was, in a word, eccentric. He was the only child of Duke Pius Auguste and Princess Amelie Louise. He was kind of a dandy. He loved to paint and travel, write poetry, plays, none of which you would have heard of unless you were a Wittelsbach scholar, of course. He composed music. And he'd later be an early adapter of the zither and help make it Bavaria's official musical instrument. His eccentricity extended also to the people he hung out with. He was known to pal around with famous journalists. His best friend was the son of a tavern keeper. He was his constant companion, much to the unhappy face of Mama. <laughs> <laughs> he was a toastmaster in Munich. It was like a, an oratory club. And... He had at that club what amounted to rap battles with his friends while playing the zither. We'll have to show you a picture of what it is. It's um, like an interestingly shaped string instrument. 
he liked to wear his hunting costume around and not just a typical contemporary to his time hunting costume, but like national dress kind of. (laughs) (laughs) He's the guy that's doing tricks while riding a horse. You know, you're like, what is that guy doing? In some ways, he sort of reminded me of your husband, just kind of living on the edge a little bit. An adrenaline. I literally <laughs> wrote. He reminds me of Chris Graham. I wrote this. I really did. He he has nine million units of magnetismo, and I was just a witness to my husband and his nine million units of magnetismo when he had to do a wedding, and like people came from every bar and restaurant in the city to help him out because he didn't have a staff. So I'm just telling you, I understand the allure of such a man. Um, <laughs> so did a lot of people in their village because there were several children who bore remarkable resemblance to Papa Max. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, yes, he did have several families. Let's just say that. Uh, he was, though, deeply interested in experiencing things. He was gone like two thirds of the time and his children could not get enough of him. No one could, except maybe his wife, though, you know, they did have 10 children. (laughs) Mama, on the other hand, wanted to stand on her dignity. She did have illustrious relations, but as I said, their official title only went back to 1805. So I feel like people who have like new money or new titles have to defend them more than somebody who's been a member of a family who's been around for nearly a thousand years and has nothing to prove anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And she wanted to still sit at the cool kids' table. She wanted to be respected. But instead of a kindred spirit in this quest, she had to spend her time counteracting her husband's influence. <laughs> I think she had been uh, born into the second family of the King of Bavaria. She was a twin. Her father's favorite child, I understand, and very, very intelligent and wanted her children to have a good life and to marry well and to be integrated into the nobility of Europe. Perhaps to marry better than she had. There were seven daughters in her family. So by the time it got down to Ludwika getting married, her sisters had been married to kings and the heir apparent to an emperor's ship of Austria. So when she got matched up with her first cousin, That's what will happen. I know. I'm like sad trombones here. I think she made the best of it. And I think that their personalities were so different that it was one of those situations where you look at the couple and you're like, how do you get along at all? Now, they did. They fought some, but she possessed a lot of qualities he didn't and vice versa. So I think that's why it worked. Also that he was gone a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And that certainly helped. She had autonomy in the house. So Mama strove to bring her children up in a, quote, proper way. It was definitely an uphill battle, but there was a daily routine, formal breakfast, for one thing, with Mama. That is pretty rare in its own way, in nobility. Then a schedule for the rest of the day. And in town, she had a good chance of imposing some order. Okay, at the Herzog Max Palais in town. But in the summer, forget it. practically speaking any moment they could the eight surviving children would just break out and roam about the grounds of their summer house it was called schloss possenhofen and it was where papa max felt the most comfortable not at court in munich but out in the country and this is where the kids sissy especially she was kind of his favorite she would follow around behind him he would take her out to festivals and she would play the tambourine while he was playing the zither 
and singing songs that got bodier and bodier as the years went by. And she would collect coins that people threw. Later in her life, she said that that was the only money that she had ever earned. Hmm. I know. She was outside so much at Posse that her governess wrote in her own diary that Sissy's hair had gone from chestnut to the color of straw because she was outside. It got all bleached out. She was just an outside kid. Well, you know, it was kind of an interesting bohemian existence. I won't say that the house was raggedy. Not exactly. But the stairs would sway back and forth if too many people went up and down. I'm like, red flag, red flag, call the inspectors. I mean, there was a colony of bats in the attics. They literally had bats in their attic. Um, but it was grand. There, there. It's so cool. You have to see it. There's this original castle with its moat and four towers for real. And then all these wings of a more modern house, probably with absolutely no bathrooms, by the way. And the immediate grounds were sort of jungly and sunny because Papa would bring back these kind of whack specimen plants and hire someone to watch them. And, and there was a lake nearby. It just, can you smell the mountain air? And it was always sunny if you're a posse. That's what they called the house. And Papa, if, if he was home, you could forget everything, mostly. He was a bad influence. I mean, maybe good. I can find this picture of when I let Jet get like all 100% muddy on the playground and his face is like full and full of joy. Right. But Sissy's mama herself was not pleased when, say, everybody came in there previously starched awesomeness dripping filth on her floor you know <laughs> talking about all the worms that they had dug up so they could go fishing with papa <laughs> and the dogs were allowed to sit on the furniture and sleep on people's beds when papa was home it was just open season i mean you almost feel for mama really trying to live up to her aristocratic roots and and reputation with like this element it would be hard for anyone to keep order when your father goes away to egypt and comes back with mummies. I mean, mummies heads and a full mummy. Or when he comes back with four little boys that he bought at a slave market. How do you even deal with that? What happened to them? I mean, I know everybody wanted to play with them, but what happened to them afterward? I know that they were baptized and that's all I know. Hmm. Sadly, I know. I wanted well, to find more, but now they're just a footnote in some, you know, lesser nobility story. Well, weirdly... That comes up later in her life, too. There was a monastery or a nunnery where those sorts of small children, having been stolen from their homes, were brought up to be good pages for the nobility. It was very fashionable to have a little tiny boy, it's always boys, of color to follow you around and carry your train of your dress and that kind of thing. Uh, it's kind of alluded to in... The, even in the movie, Marie Antoinette, the Duchess oh. Duberry has one of those servants and she doesn't treat him very well. No. Although I think in real life, she actually did treat him better, at least in the end. Anyway, it doesn't matter because he wasn't there willingly. So there you go. Ah, a little insight into slavery in Europe too now. So as the children got older, they began lessons with one Baroness Wolfen, whose diary and letters about the life behind the curtain are kind of how we know so much about Sissy's childhood. So she did have a thorough education, but only if Papa wasn't around. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She studied French and English. She played the piano. She loved to read and she loved to write and she loved to write poetry. She had these journals with her emo poetry from her adolescence that just it told me so much. I have some sprinkled throughout here, <laughs> so I don't want to ruin any surprises. 
So um, Papa's favorite, as we'll call her, was a lot like him with her love of freedom and adventure. And she would ride her horse, Punch was his name, all day with Papa and was such a daring rider that Papa said, if only we weren't so high born, we could travel as a trick riding act in a circus, to which I say the grass is always greener, Mr. Full of Money. But (laughs) Um, he taught her, most importantly, to spend time with and value the common people they met. Was it servants? Was it tradespeople? The occasional woodcutter? Anyone in the village? Her half-siblings, perhaps? <laughs> yes. I don't know what to say about that. I don't even... <laughs> so I think the common touch um, was Papa's biggest gift to her. A lot of her love of freedom, perhaps, while we would view it as a gift, didn't end up benefiting her in her later life. So... There's that. Well, Mama and Papa used to argue about how he was, quote, ruining his daughter, who, like him, really did not care about that one little bit. Who would you like better? Circus Papa, who told you you looked like a fiery angel on horseback, or Mama, who had people tie you to a chair so you wouldn't climb out the window and tell you to get back to your, quote, real life? Come on. Yeah, no. (laughs) Even I, as an adult, would prefer to be that person. (laughs) Go running off anytime she could. If she saw an out, sissy took it. At one point, Mama moved into a whole different wing of the house in town to express her displeasure at Papa's behavior and existence. Um, It was a tumultuous period. Anyway, whatever. She had a project of her own to get in place, ideally without her husband's, quote, help. He could only be a hindrance because there was an exciting preposition afoot. Mama's sister, Sophie, had married into the Austrian royal family. This is the biggest kid on the playground, the top of the heap power-wise among the Germanic states. And Aunt Sophie had a son. Yes, she did. A marriageable son, Franz Joseph, the emperor of Austria, who was of an age to need a wife. And what better place to shop than among his first cousins? I honestly, you'd be shocked at the, I'm not going to call them circles, but I'm going to call them complicated arrows (laughs) that you have on the Austrian Habsburg family tree. Well, we've talked about this before, keeping the royal blood to oneself through intermarriage. And Aunt Sophie was determined that she was going to pick some kind of get-along kid, ideally a niece that she could be the boss of and who would be no trouble. I have just the daughter, wrote back Mama, and you and I both know who it is and not. My eldest, Helene, is gentle and pretty and sensible, just the thing. Dutiful. Unfortunately, tall and lanky, you know, but healthy for all of that. She'll have children. She'll have good sons. For years and years, the negotiations and um, propaganda had happened. And Sophie was intrigued by like a milk toast type of wife for her son, for reasons we will get into a little bit later. And this niece sounded like just the ticket. After all, the cousins were complete strangers. Yeah, they went on vacation together. They would have these cousins holidays. And yes, for Sissy and her brothers and sisters, it was a time to go play with their cousins who were stair-stepped with them in age. But for the moms, it was a time for Sophie to look at what kind of children her sister Ludvika was raising. And quite honestly, she thought they were a little wild. (laughs) Wonder where they got that from. (laughs) Well, finally, at 18... 
everyone's like, okay, let's arrange a real meeting later in the year. So poor old Helena is thrown into what I'm calling intense empress school. She had to learn French, which was the language of diplomacy in Europe, dancing, specifically those favored by the court of Austria, deportment, etiquette, history, family trees of the nobles she will encounter, her responsibilities and duties, the enormous sacrifices she's going to have to make personally as a public figure, armies and <laughs> armies of milliners, dressmakers, jewelers descended on the palace for meetings and fittings. The pressure on Helena was intense, and I can't blame her for having a lot of sleepless nights. She started to get thinner and had bags and black circles under her eyes, and Sissy, for one, is so happy the attention's finally off of her and her unladylike behavior. Sucks to be you. I'll be out riding the horse. And then Mama would say to her, I am never going to be able to find you a husband with your attitude. Whoopee, hooray, woohoo, you know, I don't care. Leave me here. <laughs> so the big day approached. The journey was imminent. And Mama and Helena were supposed to travel off to the Austrian Imperial's family summer palace to have the couple have a look at each other and affect the betrothal, which was really a done deal. Franz Joseph typically since he owed his mother his crown, more on that later, was pretty amenable as far as he's concerned to whoever his mother had picked. You know, I'm not excited about this, but I know that's what one does. One produces an heir, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so he's in and Helena, after all this training, is not going to, you know, punk. So it was pretty much a formality as far as everyone was concerned. And um, Helena was a big bag of nerves, though. So Ludvika said, why don't we bring your sister along to help calm you down? Her presence will just make you happier. She can keep you company. She can just calm your nerves. Sissy, go pack yourself a bag. It was kind of like when I go on vacation with my son. I spend all this time laying out the clothes. This goes with that. <laughs> that goes with that. We're doing this and that and that. And that's what Helena was doing. But Sissy was like, okay, here's a dress. Here's some shoes. Here's, I guess I'll need these gloves. Shove them in a bag. Just like my son packs in like three minutes for a two-week vacation. It's good to be them. I know. I know. It's a lot easier. And and so Sissy was excited. She's always up for adventures. She said to her papa, why aren't you going? And he's like, I don't want to go. And mama said, you will wreck everything up by being weird. No, thank you. Not invited, frankly. And so Sissy's laughing at this little controversy and goes and throws her like underwear in a bag, whatever. Helena and Mama's trunks filled a whole second carriage and she had a, like a nice outfit or two because you're visiting. You don't know. And, and that's it. Like, who cares what I wear? Nobody, said Mama, cares what you wear. You're right. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and so she did not stop talking the whole way. I thought that's why they brought her. It got to be a bit too much. And of course, the carriages were being pulled by horses. One time when they stopped on their way, Sissy wanted to get the horses some water and she ended up falling into the trough. So now she's in her dress, totally soaking wet, no longer allowed in the carriage with Mama and Helena. She's out on the top of the carriage with her governess, which is probably where she wanted to be in the first place. Poor old Helena was practically barfing out the side of the carriage and Mama had a horrible headache. And here's this final straw. Mm -hmm. I can be on top of the carriage. Hooray! Again. Now, here is something I need to ask you, 
which way this went because you'll read in several places. I think this is the fancy famous story that they got separated from their luggage cart and had to meet the Imperial family in their dirty traveling clothes. And I think that does seem to be a better story, but it doesn't seem to be the case because Sissy got sent back to sit in the furthest back luggage carriage. She wasn't with her mother at all. Mm -hmm. So how did they get separated from the luggage when Sissy was literally sitting on it? Well, I think this is a good time to say that a lot of the stories about Empress Sissy that we all are like, oh, let's talk about her, are like that one. They're not based in reality. No, they were all together. They got there a little later than that they had planned. They checked into their inn. And Sophie came running over saying, look, Franz Joseph is getting antsy. He wants to head out. Let's let's hurry up. Let's get over there. Let's get to the palace. And so they rushed over without much fanfare. But their clothes were there. They just weren't unpacked. Got it. Okay. And to explain also something about that, in this town, the imperial family didn't actually have very much room. They had a little place that they had rented. Uh, but like Versailles, it was very tight on space. And and it was the height of the, the season. And everybody had to kind of stay in a fancy hotel because there just wasn't room. Which is what they had done before. They had had some cousin vacations or whatever we're calling them, cousin holidays in the same village. So with that message that they had to hustle their buns or the quarry was going to fly the coop, all hands on deck, hotel staff, any maid, any hairdresser, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got to rush in. And so the hotel staff rushed in to Sissy and made bows. They were so excited to see their future empress. And surely it's this glorious creature with the color in her cheeks and the sparkle in her eyes that was destined for their emperor. By now, Sissy's hair, no longer looking like she 1980s sun end it <laughs> like it used to. Oh, anyone with dark hair who has put sun in in, just remember that appearance. Not good. Um, now it was dark auburn, almost like the darkest of reds. And it was a crown all on its own. Beautiful face, fashionable figure, very tall, strengthened, by the way, by much exercise and the self-assurance of her father's treatment of her. She thought well of herself in a healthy way. And so when all these people rushed in to take care of Sissy, she just thought, this is what happens here. Okay. Mama and Sophie are like, no, get away from her. That's not who you need to take care of. Here's the future empress, Helena. Please make her beautiful. And I'm not going to say there's a sad trombone, but they're like, uh, oh, fair enough. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> and so they did the best they could. But, you know, like I said, she'd been sleepless for weeks. She'd been oppressed for the last year. And Helena was sick with apprehension. She's about to meet the man who she's been told for five years is going to be her husband, her destiny. And she had better not mess it up. And they were all wearing black. They were in mourning for an aunt. The plan originally had been get there, take Helena out of her black dress, put her in something beautiful to dazzle Franz Joseph. But that's not what happened. And Helena's complexion looked really washed out in black. The misunderstanding was embarrassing, but it did make Mama think. While the staff was cobbling Helena's look back together that maybe Sissy needed to be out of the way for the big luncheon tomorrow, Helena and Emperor Franz Joseph had a calm little meetup downstairs watched by both eagle-eyed Mamas, which I'm sure was very awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> embarrassing. 
Like my son doesn't even let me meet his girlfriend at the skate park. So <laughs> wait, so his girlfriend's at the skate park? Like she's yeah. skating? Mm, I'm not sure that's where we are. I think we're we're witnessing skating. Oh, okay. Rather than being a skater. Okay. I don't why is the proportion of skaters so skewed masculine? Somebody tell me. I don't understand it. I you know, you'll see thirty or forty skaters and scooter riders and then maybe two that aren't little tiny girls with their little pink scooters, you know, but like, it's, really? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know why in hmm. this modern day, why there's so few sissies on the skateboard. I hope that that's unique to this area and then other areas, it's not the case. I think California is, there are a lot more female riders, hmm. but not, the percentage is not ever going to be 50-50, I don't think. Maybe we're just like programmed by nature to be risk averse in that way. Like, mm. <laughs> maybe you want me to do what on a what? No. <laughs> <laughs> and so the meetup downstairs with Helena and Franz Joseph. Helena was all like, whoa, Momoa, handsome, Prince Charming, sweet mystery of life. At last I found you. Reconciled to her new husband, we might say. <laughs> <laughs> As for Franz Joseph, well... If this is what his mother wanted, he supposed this is how his life would be because he owed his mother a lot and he was fine. He had already had two other women that he was looking at. And Sophie was like, no, they won't do. <laughs> Probably because she'd been planning this for so many years. So I would like to spare a moment for Franz Joseph, the, the groom-to-be, a, a quick family history. His grandpa, of course, was the emperor of Austria and his eldest son and heir, whose name was Ferdinand, was unfortunately, for the time, grievously mentally disabled. We seem to think from here that he was uh, epileptic, but it manifested itself in grand mal seizures at inopportune times, if that makes sense. So he was all there, but just suffered from a condition that the people of his time simply didn't understand. So hope for the succession rested with the second son, Franz Joseph's papa, whose name is Franz Karl. Although he was considered a terribly dull fellow and not at all intelligent, maybe because his parents were first cousins on both sides. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was amiable enough, but it was his position as the heir and father of the inevitable future heir that boosted up his attractiveness. So Princess Sophie of Bavaria agreed to marry him. And I think the contrast between Sophie and Franz Karl was significant. You know, he wasn't very exciting. He wasn't a thrilling person to be in the room with. But Sophie, she was very intelligent, very witty, very smart, very politically motivated, so when you contrast Sophie and Franz Karl, Franz Karl looks like less of a good option to be emperor. Actually, Sophie would be a good empress, but alas. Well, ideally, one day she would be the empress, and that title would make up for the disappointment of the man himself. So they were married. Franz Karl was so gobsmacked by his new wife's qualities that all he could think to do was shower her with jewels and gifts. Well, not all he could think of. Um, <laughs> they had a time. Uh, after five sad miscarriages, Sophie eventually gave birth to six children, four of whom survived to grow up. So they did get along to a certain extent. 
That is all I'm saying about that in this PG podcast. <laughs> but um, Sophie inevitably put all of her hopes and dreams into her eldest son, which reminds me so much of Margaret Beaufort and Henry VII. Her whole being, because this is where she had the power, concentrated on getting her son groomed for his future position as emperor. And at this point, when he's a small boy, of course, it's my husband will become the emperor and then my son will, but there's no sense waiting around. We are going to groom and train him since birth for his role as future emperor. He's educated within an inch of his life with the finest tutors and the understanding of his future responsibilities. I mean, he was given a military position at the age of 13. It was no joke. He understood from the second he could understand anything that he was not necessarily a person. He was the representation of an institution. I mean, at least, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he had the disposition that being raised in a military style and with military influences was good. Didn't affect him negatively. So in the year 1848, when our young man was approximately 18, how are we going to explain this? It Let's just say it is a season of rebellions all across Europe, particularly in all parts of the Austrian Empire. We cannot possibly go into all of the specifics because they involve territories that were other countries then that aren't now, and it just is going to be unwieldy. So we'll link you perhaps to a podcast about the history of this particular year. Let's just say little fires and big fires are burning all over the place. Is that is no? That, that's a good way to that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So Ferdinand, the emperor um, with the epilepsy, was urged strongly to abdicate by his advisors. So young Franz Joseph, capable and diligent as he was, was one step closer to the top job. But wait, Archduchess Sophie, who since that is a very hard word to say, can we just call her Aunt Sophie, or if it's you, you, Aunt Sophie? Yes, of course. Okay, uh, and and the top advisors. To Franz Karl convinced the dad to step aside in favor of his son. I don't know what that took. It's like if Prince Charles in Britain now just randomly stepped aside and let William take it. It's it's kind of like that shocking. But he had Sophie who wanted her son to sit on the throne. So I think having her influence helped him say, you can skip over me. So just so we are clear. Sophie gave up the sure thing of being the empress to ensure her son, who was, in fact, the better fitted emperor than her husband, could be the emperor instead. That is a big sacrifice that I think she sort of resented, even though it was her own fault, the rest of her life. I just want to have that ticking away in the background that she had a sure title and she gave it up for her son. So she was known as, quote, the only man at the Hofburg Palace. And it must have been so frustrating to operate only as a pop-up master and never, ever as the CEO because of her gender, you mm -hmm. know? And thus, why she wanted the wife of her son, who would technically outrank her in the hierarchy, you know, to be no threat to her influence and position. That's why she wanted the milk toast in her son's marital situation. 
So let us travel back to that fateful lunch where Helen and Franz Joseph were supposed to cement their love over the fruit tray in front of the gimlet eyes of their nearest relations. Again, oi, can we just put them in a room? Like, <laughs> just <laughs> let them talk about stuff for five minutes? No, we cannot. Sissy was told to have lunch with the companion slash governess in another room because you are a distraction. So I don't know what happened in the other room. Uh, Something funny happened. Like she got mad about something the companion said. Doesn't even matter. She was not sure what was happening in this room. And she burst in to the main event and her color was up and her eyes were flashing. And Franz Joseph stood right up. And it was, as they say in Four Weddings in a Funeral, Thunderbolt City. <laughs> Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. The next few days were sort of awkward. He locked eyes with Sissy at the kid over at the kids' table where she had to sit. Is that hilarious? I know. <laughs> His little brothers and she were at the end, like with their paper turkeys, or you know, <laughs> they were on the dismissed end of the table, and he kept locking eyes with her down there. This particular Cinderella hadn't packed for the ball to which she had now been invited by Franz Joseph. So she was kind of cobbled together as to fashion. One of Franz Joseph's younger brothers, who'd been in puppy love with her for a decade since they were little kids and had the cousin meetings, used to send her little presents, like with his purple crayon, dear sissy, I love you, here is a necklace, you know? (laughs) But she would write him back. They had a correspondence. I think that that was the plan. (laughs) And now here's this guy sitting at the kids' table, angry that his bro was stealing his woman. (laughs) And Aunt Sophie was taken aback that her older son had a mind of his own at all. As he said later in private, Mama, I will take Sissy or I will take no one. There will be no bride at all. And Sissy's mother was so angry that Sissy had wrecked up this carefully constructed strategy. I mean, no real word on Helena's feelings, but in public, she had to act as if nothing was wrong. Like, I have literally wasted five years of my life. No big. And no one seriously could say that Sissy had used wiles or even charm, really, or a fancy dress. Like, she had none of the usual trickery. (laughs) You know, (laughs) yeah, they would have turned the eye of an emperor. Yeah. You know, there's whole historical fictions written about how Helena felt about the whole thing. And the truth is, we like you said, we don't know. But she knew what her sister was headed for. And so I think that also um, played into her concern for her sister, in addition to being slightly embarrassed, maybe, and mad that she'd spent all that time getting ready and this isn't what was going to happen to her. And relieved that that wasn't going to happen to her, that she wasn't going to be that person in the spotlight. What a mixed bag. Four, or some say five days later, under a week, let's just say Franz Joseph produced a proposal, I guess at this point you say an offer. (laughs) (laughs) He went to his mom and said, hey, mom, can you tell Aunt Luvika that I want to marry Sissy? It's like fifth grade. He had to go through his mom. Like that old note you send in elementary school. Do you like me? Why? Or maybe (laughs) you never put no on those kind of notes if you have any level of intelligence. Well, okay. So hooray. I guess this is how it's going. Oh, dear. Well, Mama sent Papa a telegram. Emperor requests Sissy's hand and your consent. He remains in Eshell through August. We are all delighted. 
So Papa got in a carriage, confused, but uh, okay, I thought it was going to go another way. And so he set off for the Summer Palace to set things in motion. Franz Joseph could not stop lavishing his 15-year-old fiancé slash cousin with gifts. Branches of the family near and far sent their own valuables and letters of congratulations. Remember, she's joining the most senior power play country in the whole system functionally. So one minute she's running in from outside in muddy boots, stinky, with the dogs at her heels, happy. And then in the blink of an eye, in less than a week, she has to sit formally dressed in the fanciest parlor to receive noble guests from all over Europe come to offer their congratulations and put in a good word for themselves. To her, a 15-year-old girl. Regarding marrying him, she had actually said, I'd love him if only he weren't an emperor. So she knew going in that this is the life that she was going to have. Even though she didn't go through the Empress Academy yet, she knew. Yeah, it was a bewildering turn of events. And and of course, when you get home where you think you're going to be like, woo, I'm going to metaphorically take my bra off and chill. No, 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 no. This is super compressed summer school Empress Academy, you know, where you have way too much work to do in a given day and your horse might exist, but you're never going to see him. The outside exists. Never going to see that. Super crash course in the formality of the Austrian court, which was a 180 degree situation from anything she had ever experienced in her entire life. She was even surprised that Austria was more than just Vienna. She didn't realize that the empire extended like it did. That's how much educating that her tutor, who came three times a week, had to do for her in Austrian history and culture and things she just had never had to think about before. So at least, unlike Marie Antoinette, she and her future husband spoke the same language. True. It is an awful lot like Marie Antoinette, isn't it? Yes. She was not the favored one. She was playing. She was running around the wild child. Well, and Marie Antoinette, as you recall from our first episode, was sort of only there by accident because one of her sisters had died and that shuffled around everyone else's marriages and it ended up that she was the only one left and she went instead of the sister that was supposed to go. So, And just like Marie Antoinette had to have her teeth fixed, remember we talked about the Uh early orthodontia, Sissy's teeth were all dark. It was actually one of the things that Sophie was complaining about. How can we have an empress with dark teeth? Turns out that Sissy was eating a lot of blueberries and they had stained her teeth. So Franz Joseph swapped out some exotic fruits for her and told her to brush her teeth, which worked. Man, hi, will you marry me? Brush your teeth. It's romantic. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, so, you know, do any of you have a 10th grade girl, sophomore? Instead of getting invited to prom with the senior in high school, which is very exciting, Sissy instead began her wedding journey. So how did she actually feel at this time? Well, this was in Sissy's diary. Oh, swallow, lend me your wings. 
Take me along to far-off fields. How gladly would I lose my chain? How joyfully the binding band. So she knew that she is not going to be free like a bird anymore. She was just writing her emo poetry, poor thing. I know. I just, you know, from going to a point where your mother's like, I'm never going to be able to find a husband for you and saying, woohoo, and, and, you know, running out the back door. This has not even been a matter of months. And unlike Marie Antoinette, both parents accompanied her and all of her siblings as far as the border. Every town along the way turned out to see Sissy off, to wish her well, to cheer and wave their flags. And Helena just sat. This really was supposed to be her triumphal wedding journey. She was understandably a bit chilly, I would say, but she had to go to support her sister and and keep up the public face. Yeah, I'm just, I don't know, maybe I read too much about Helene. I want to think that she was Yeah, she was embarrassed and that was her thing. But I think more she knew what her sister was going in for. You know, her sister not only was getting married, but she was going to have this life that Helena knew Sissy wasn't prepared for it. That's what I And she was going to have to share a house with Aunt Sophie, which all of them were like, dun, dun, dun. If we thought Mama was a hard aleck, you just wait for Aunt Sophie. (laughs) In those few months, Mama got busy and putting together Sissy's trousseau now. It included things like 17 ceremonial dresses, 14 high neck dresses, 19 summer dresses, 168 chemises, which is that white cotton that goes under a dress, 168 stockings. (laughs) This thing is huge. I think it was largely paid for by her prospective husband, too. And when Ludvika realized that she didn't have enough money to get all the things that she wanted to get for Sissy, she just wrote to her nephew, the emperor, and said, you know, I'm having to economize. And Franz Joseph is like, no bargain basement bride for me. And he would just throw her some more money. And Ludvika's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because that's what I thought you would do. (laughs) (laughs) So how about this for extravagance? On her trip, Franz Joseph had ordered that every single rose that existed at Schoenbrunn Palace, Port Gardeners, be cut to cover the ship that was to carry Sissy at the end of her journey. So he was so excited and, golly, the surreal nature of finding yourself the center of attention, like I'm just me, old Sissy, and these people seem to think I'm this other thing because, in fact, she was this other thing. Suddenly, she met some Bavarian cousins and ran to embrace them on her trip and the collective gasp went up that she'd done something wrong. Her mother-in-law's like, people cannot think they can just touch your person. The very idea. Sorry, Aunt Sophie. I am not Aunt Sophie. I am the Dowager Empress of Austria to you now, and I must insist upon my dignity. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. At least Franz Joseph acted natural. He couldn't even wait for the ship to dock before he he leaped over the water. And you know what? I like him for it. He leaped over the water and ran to embrace her. And I guess it's okay if the emperor touches your person. (laughs) So eight matched white horses drew her carriage through one last crowd on the Schoenbrunn Palace grounds. And I can imagine her entering the building and putting her back against the wall and saying a very bad word that she probably learned while acting as a peasant with papa. But psych, let's meet your household. 
Here's a 19-page order of precedence to memorize by tomorrow. Like that um, that binder of guests at the Met Gala in Devil Wears Prada, but with higher stakes and no photographs. Hmm. And no Emily to do half of it either. Don't mess it up. And a giant script with blocking and music for tomorrow's wedding. Learn all your lines. Have a good night. Bye. <laughs> and I remember, and it's a vague memory because it's been so many years, how utterly exhausted I was on my wedding day. And you should magnify that by a million. Oh, <laughs> that would be on the small end, I think. Well, possibly the only people who know how Sissy feels right now are Princess Diana, with whom Empress Sissy is often compared, and Duchess Catherine, Kate Middleton, that was. Though Kate at least had many, many years to get used to the idea of marrying into royalty and as an adult woman made a choice. So perhaps let's just go back to Princess Diana (laughs) (laughs) as her, you know, person that might understand a bit of what she's feeling right now. But of course, they weren't born yet. There's no one to call. On April 24th, 1854, 16-year-old Sissy was wearing a white wedding dress. It was embroidered with gold and silver flowers. She had a long train that continued that embroidery pattern. She had a diamond and opal crown on top of her massively coiffed hair. She climbed into a glass coach that was drawn by eight Lipizzan stallions for the 50-yard trip to the church. Because of the crowds, that blocked everything, it took over an hour to go 50 yards. (laughs) (laughs) So the minuscule procession (laughs) happened. The ceremony, of course. Um, No word if she... Nobody expects you to get the blocking right on your wedding day. Everyone just tells you what to say and you just say, like somebody looks at you and you just say yes. Wasn't that from Four Weddings and a Funeral? Anytime anybody asks you a question, just say yes. Yes. (laughs) I think it was. That's a second Four Weddings and a Funeral. Wow. (laughs) I know. I didn't mean for that to happen. Well, there was a ball. There was a banquet. There's the obligatory appearance on the balcony. There's meeting, there's greeting, there's smiling for someone as fundamentally, I'm not going to call her shy so much as maybe either introverted or unused to so much company. This was like torture, just torture. Everyone the next day she thought was leering at her after her wedding night, you know, like it made her want to run away like everybody knows. (laughs) Well, everybody didn't know because they didn't consummate the marriage for two nights. And on her wedding night, she was put into bed by her mother, and then Franz Joseph was bled into the room by his mother, and Sissy had had enough, so she pretended she was asleep. After all that had happened, I really don't think that was all that surprising. So the new empress's wedding day stretched into a week-long event. There were dignitaries, of course, coming to pay their respects, opera and ballet command performances. There were fireworks for the populace. There were balls all over the city. Arg, arg. Like outside in the streets, though, it was a common man's holiday, like Mardi Gras without the nudity. (laughs) Although I will almost guarantee you there was the classic peeing in the streets that you'll find at Mardi Gras. So at least that was that. I've never peed in the streets at Mardi Gras. And I've been to several. I lived there, so. But I think that's a more boy person. (laughs) Oh, it's definitely. Yeah, I've used the portalettes. I'm not proud, but they won't let you into the hotels. So, Well, um, Franz Joseph, of course, had been used to this kind of attention since birth. But even him, with the stars in his eyes, at his good fortune, noticed that his new bride was drooping. 
I guess. And he cast about for something that would cheer her up. And he remembered how she had loved to ride. And so he uprooted his whole household to a palace he had that was nearby and just the thing. Laxenburg Palace had been Franz Joseph's favorite place as a child. So it's his posse, you know. His Possenhofen. Yes. It's surrounded by epically glorious gardens. There's meadows there full of daisies and lakes and even a reproduction medieval castle on an island, if that's your thing. And and here's the stable, my friend, my delightful wife. Knock yourself out. Kiss, kiss upon your forehead. I, I hope this helps. And it really did so very much. And for a time, a short time, she reveled in what for her must have sort of echoed her childhood freedoms and ended up constructing these, I don't even know what they're called because I'm not an equestrian, but like the jumps that horses take, like the, you know, there's stone ones and there's wooden ones and mm-hmm. there's fake fences and little water features. And like, here she is doing horse jumps on functionally the lawn <laughs> of her new secondary residence until Aunt Sophie decided to come put her thumb on it. She moved her household to Laxenburg Palace also and basically stood there in the doorway with an open mouth and said the following, this is undignified. What if people catch a glimpse of you? The purpose of royalty is to glitter and be otherworldly. Have we learned nothing from the revolutions of 1848? A casual monarchy leads to democracy. (gasps) I know. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) That's when the lightning strikes. We cannot have the empress in comfortable clothes acting like a circus performer on the front lawn. So she put a stop to all the roaming. You are to sit with visitors. You are to nod. You are to smile, rinse, repeat. Empresses do not have privacy. Just two weeks after her marriage, Sissy was back in her diary writing more poetry. Oh, had I never left the path which might have led me to my freedom. Had I never vainly strayed on the broad road of vanity. I am awake and I am in prison. I see the chains that bind my hands. Wow. She's not happy. Now, this is very likely where Sissy began suffering from anorexia, a malady that would dog her for the rest of her life. Well, she had so little control over anything in her life. So the only thing she could control was what she ate and how she exercised and, you know, what she did for herself. That was the only thing she could control. It got out of hand. I know it did. Well, Franz Joseph, again, noticed that his new wife looked unhappy. He honestly, he is good and attentive and he couldn't be around any more than he was. There was a lot going on that he had to handle, and he was a very diligent monarch. I will say that about him. He tried to do a good job in every aspect, but the domestic one was not really his forte, and his mother was there. And and surely, you know, let's vaguely wave in the direction of whatever, handle that, whatever it is. He just couldn't <laughs> know. And so I don't really fault him necessarily, but He decided there is something he could do that was within his power and wouldn't take very much time from his docket of work. Young company, he decided. So he tried to decide, well, do we invite her mother and sisters? Mm, Easier if I get my two slightly younger brothers back and they can hang out with her. And it worked for a while. Maximilian was was so funny. And um, it was Carl that had a giant crush on her, actually. Carl not Ludwig, had the giant crush on her from childhood. And 
brought him back too. That's a little problematic, but <laughs> but he was good too. I mean, he was sad, but you know, it's a done deal. And and so he was nice too. And it did work. And they hung out and they got to walk in the gardens and everything until Aunt Sophie, again, displeased, organized an official tour of Spain and France for Maximilian, while Carl was mysteriously ordered back to his military duties by his commander. And Sophie dusted her hands. That's that. Alone with her mother-in-law, again, Sissy didn't have available to her, the Smiths, as we children of the 80s did, uh, for our wallowing. <laughs> she had to make her own wallowing and wrote, classically, another poem that goes like this. I have awakened in a dungeon, my soul with iron fetters bound, fruitless my longing for that freedom which I cast off, ere this I found. So at least Sissy had a husband who loved her and wanted her to be happy. And, you know, he dug in his bag of suggestions again. I wonder if he has a jar that he keeps them on a piece of paper. I don't know. <laughs> and he suggested a visit to the province of Bohemia in modern day Czechia. And I was going to say Czechoslovakia. <sighs> you know, I have this test that I take online. It's like name the countries of Africa, name the countries of Asia. And I am the bomb in Africa and Asia. So good. But when it comes to Europe, I have a giant problem. Europe still gives me trouble because I would still say Czechoslovakia. I have a big giant classroom map from the 40s in my kitchen hanging on the wall. And here's Yugoslavia that has become Serbia, Montenegro, Croatia, Kosovo, Slovenia, North Macedonia. Like, do we know where Bosnia and Herzegovina is? Do we even know how to pronounce that? We do not. <laughs> Similarly, it took me a long time to learn the New England states, Susan. What? Because I learned on a wooden puzzle. And oh. so as you put them in, you would say things like Nebraska, Oklahoma, but all of the chokeable New England states <laughs> were on one piece. And so I'd get there, I'd be like, Florida, that one piece. <laughs> California, <laughs> Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine, and New Hampshire, right? And Vermont. Yep. <laughs> Maine might have made it out. I'm not sure. But so I never really, it took a while. I mean, I wasn't an adult, but I didn't learn it as a child for that no. very reason. I got confused about the middle until far too late in my life. So it's okay. Well, anyway, anyway, back to uh, our subject at hand. Franz Joseph's in empire contained an assortment of cultures. Um, I think 11 different recognized, you know, vaguely bordered um, societies who were still sort of chafing at Habsburg rule. And perhaps a visit to Prague would flatter both the Czechs and the Slovaks. You know, you're the first visit from the new empress. And hooray, it's a big honor. So, like Queen Elizabeth I of Britain and her constant progresses, it was thought that perhaps a ruler, especially in this Habsburg situation, needs to be seen by the people and not just on the coins. And so it was time for Sissy to be seen in the wider empire and no mother-in-law. Well, that's incentive enough. Sign me up for that. <laughs> so, yes, cheering crowds, everyone marveling at her dazzling beauty. I see Sissy here as a shiny thing. We want independence. But hey, look at this. Woo! My cynical mind says this is the circus part of bread and circuses and not the fun kind from before. But there was a deeper purpose that Sissy had on this trip. 
Franz Joseph set aside a considerable sum for, quote, the Empress's private charities. And it is money that Sissy is free to distribute in whatever way she sees fit. You have access to it, my dear. Feel free. Give it to a man on the street, whatever you want. Endow things. Not up to me. It's yours. And so in her role as Empress, Sissy visited hospitals and schools and orphanages and churches and homes for the mentally ill and was able to help them directly and in person with her presence, but also donations, practical as well as inspirational help. And it gave her a giant boost. If you're going to be told you're a powerful figure, it was so nice to literally be able to see where she was making a difference. You know, and the hearts and minds of the people of Bohemia warmed up to their wonderful new empress. She's generous. She's beautiful. She's everything a great lady should be. And Franz Joseph was so proud of her. And the response that she got was politically valuable to him, which sounds cold, but you know what I mean. It's good PR for the institution of the monarchy. So it was a giant bummer to him, both personally and politically, when Sissy became so sick halfway through this tour that it was thought that she had better be sent home to recuperate and that he should go on alone. And um, so that's what they did. They parted. She went back to Vienna and soon his mama, Aunt Sophie, sent him the reason. Sissy had become pregnant. Yay! For dynasty-minded Aunt Sophie, this was excellent news. And she immediately began micromanaging. Simple things. You know, we all know by this point that Sissy loves her animals, and Aunt Sophie didn't appreciate Sissy looking at the animals all the time. She actually wrote to her son, if a woman is looking at animals, particularly in the first months, the children are apt to resemble them. It would be better if she looked at herself in the mirror. How's that for micromanaging? Also, she thought perhaps Sissy had better get a portrait of her husband and regard her husband because it would be way better and we would reassure everyone when the baby came out looking like her husband. Isn't that a good strategy? These old wives tales or old empress's tales are killing me. (laughs) You're not allowed to look at a mouse because the baby will be born with fur. You're not allowed to eat a strawberry or the baby will have a red birthmark. You're not allowed to wear high heels or the baby will be cross-eyed. I mean, what? But her husband was sufficiently alarmed to write, I guess I'm going to like paraphrase what he wrote, like whatever on the actual science and the parrot thing. I'm a man. What do I know? But like for an easy life, ixnay on the parrots. Is that cool? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know what, I don't know what's happening. I'm busy. Well, anyway, one old empress's tale, which had a little more basis, in fact, maybe suddenly Sissy was forbidden from riding a horse. And I do kind of see that it's not necessarily as they thought that the actual joggling around might cause a miscarriage. But as your center of gravity changes, you've got a greater chance for a fall, you know, broken bones, a concussion. Your mileage may vary. I I don't know what they even recommend these days, but I was looking at a site. I just wrote pregnant ride horse and they're like, "Mm, you should really check with your doctor. So I guess it's still a thing. But what this led to for Sissy was an insistence that her mother-in-law had of public carriage rides to show the people the future emperor in your belly. All Sissy wanted to do was be by herself. If she couldn't be with her animals, just let her be, let her read. But no, Aunt Sophie wanted her out in public. So she would just take her to one court event, one state event after another. And Sissy just knew that they were all staring at her midsection. 
She was uncomfortable physically, but she was uncomfortable emotionally, too. So she thought she had to do what Aunt Sophie said. And it wasn't until Sissy began yakking her breakfast into every bush along the fashionable streets of Vienna. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray, morning sickness. Your one benefit. That Aunt Sophie had to change the plan. So, okay, public promenades along the edge of the property by the front gates so people can still see you. Very important for the dynasty to have people know that it has continuity so people can gather to look at you. She didn't say in a zoo, but. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly implied. And Sissy had realized that the staff that her new mother-in-law had gotten for her was devoted only to Aunt Sophie and not to Sissy. Anything that happened in her private rooms, her lady-in-waiting, Countess Esterhazy, reported it right back to Aunt Sophie. So there's no freedom at all. Everything she does is watched. So Sissy put up with this for a few months, meekly or not meekly, I don't know. But when she began to show for real, Sissy put her foot down. Private strolls in the back. Okay, the doctors recommend exercise and I will do that for the health of my child. But no more will I appear in public to be gawked at. And honestly, Aunt Sophie couldn't exactly have Sissy dragged to the front gates. I mean, she could. But then what? What kind of a vision would that be for the public? Yeah. (laughs) That's not what was wanted. And Aunt Sophie raged at having to do this with such an inferior specimen. Uh, Couldn't Sissy see how important this was? And so evidently she would have to think of some other plan. And the tension between Aunt Sophie and Sissy was almost intolerable. And when Franz Joseph got back from the very successful Bohemian tour, thank you very much, Sissy's first instinct, of course, was to ask for her husband's help in private that evening. But Aunt Sophie is a master strategist, and she had an ace up her sleeve. Before Sissy could complain, Aunt Sophie presented, quote, her dear children with a magnificent villa in the town where they fell in love that she had paid for with her own money and now presented it to the young couple with all of her love. Franz Joseph was delighted. And now what was Sissy going to say? Your mother made me walk by the gate. Mm. Game, set, match to Aunt Sophie. Sissy wasn't winning a lot of these battles at all. She won like little ones. Only she didn't have to wear gloves when she ate. Who'd like to wear gloves when they ate? But that's what they did at court. So Aunt Sophie said, you don't have to wear gloves, but everybody else does. And that was the kind of victories she had, just like little piddly victories. Well, so that summer, as renovations went on across the way at their new house, Aunt Sophie theoretically asked for input from her daughter-in-law as to the fittings. But curiously, the tradesmen seemed to like already have their instructions already. They were already in progress. There was a bathtub, the one bathtub in the giant house like the English had. You didn't have to bring in a tub anymore. So that actually was something that Sissy had wanted and she did get it. So hooray, there's the one thing. Yeah, like little. These are just little victories. Well, and it's no skin off Aunt Sophie's nose. Like, I don't care. No. <laughs> Nobody's going to see it. I don't care. But one thing, the nursery was awful far from the Imperial Suite. Now, many books make a giant thing of that, but I have to tell you, it's not all that unusual. Nobles didn't have the babies across the hall like we do or or co-sleeping. Oh, yeah. But it's not always right next door to Grandmama's. That is true. That was a clever piece. So it's not that the nursery is far away from the parents. It's that it's curiously close to the grandma. 
Mm-hmm. More on that in a moment. Aunt Sophie's oppression continued on the DL and in private, and Franz Joseph either didn't notice like a dang dong or thought it was some sort of pregnant lady problems. I don't know. <laughs> well, he was in a, a, a situation. He had, I mean, I can tell you what he should have done. But as far as he's always relied on his mother, his mother is one of his most trusted advisors in everything in his life. So he's certainly not going to cut those apron strings to side with his wife. So he's just like walking the middle of the road with blinders on. I can't see you guys fighting. So you're not. Well, he was in love with Sissy. I think he would have at least run interference if he'd only known, I think. But I until he saw until he saw his mother raise her eyebrow. You know, and a look that he'd seen his entire life that says she's not joking. Mm. It's just a precarious position for an emperor to be in. I have two words, dower house, but whatever. (laughs) What do I know? Time came for the baby to be born. And Franz Joseph was there and held her hand and freaked out at her pain. Good boy. And he kept kissing her all over her face. And the midwife did her work. Well, Aunt Sophie directed operations, you know, maids here, water here, bring this, take away that, kept a cool head and reassured her son, this is just how babies come. And I think him kissing her on the forehead, you know, I've always said kissing on the forehead means true love in a movie. And I almost think kissing on the forehead means true love in real life too. And and he took special pains to do that. And he was so sad about what she had to go through. Like, I didn't know, like, oh, <laughs> And, you know, good for him, because that shows that he really loved her. I don't know. At last, at last, hooray, the baby came. Not a son and heir, as had been hoped for, but a daughter. And Sissy said, now that everything is done, I don't mind how much I suffered, and slipped into an exhausted sleep. Aunt Sophie took charge. The baby had to be baptized immediately. So she was christened Sophie, Frederic, Dorothea, Maria, Josepha. The first three names are identical to Aunt Sophie's. Hmm. No consultation with the mother. The grandmother names the new baby after herself. Curious. Mm-hmm. She whipped the child off to be cared for near her own rooms by a series of wet nurses and servants, which is usual enough. Again, that's that's not the unusual part. But what is unusual is Aunt Sophie restricted Sissy, the mother of the child, on the hour Sissy could see the baby. She said, this is not to be your toy, Empress Elizabeth. What? An Always the visits had to be in the presence of her mother-in-law. Sissy was never to be alone with the baby for any reason. 
how can I trust her with the baby when she cannot even discipline herself? So Sissy cried and begged, and the worried Franz Joseph consulted her doctor, who was in the pay and the pocket of his mother, and validated the situation. If you can believe that. I can believe it. I was listening to a historical fiction with my kid in the car, with my 15-year-old son, and we got to this part, and he said, that's Sophie. She's a biatch. Only he didn't say biatch. <laughs> yes, she is something else. Well, I don't know why I keep writing FJ. Maybe because I'm... I did exactly the same thing. FJ, FJ. I was like, well, we'll be calling him something short by then. FJ. Okay. So Franz Joseph, FJ. FJ took Sissy home to her childhood home at Posse to cheer her up. See, he really does want the best for her, but he just... He's absolutely unaware of the gravity of what's going on, I think. And when they get back, the only way Sissy could see her daughter was to run the gauntlet of all of Aunt Sophie's beady-eyed, mocking friends who just couldn't wait to see her expression. Like, now that you're under the thumb of our friend, <laughs> and then tell everyone about it. And the mockery was everywhere. And soon Sissy stopped going at all. She, she was 17. And she felt like she had just lost her child and lost the game. Life is over. Blarg. Also, she was pregnant again. And forget making another production number out of my stomach in front of my mother-in-law and all of her cackling friends up there. I'm not going to do it. A year after baby Sophie was born on July 15th, 1856, Sissy was in labor again. Yes, maybe this is the male heir that everybody's waiting for. She's like, I'm going to have this boy child. I have to have this boy child. The same pattern happened. She gave birth to a little girl. Once again, Aunt Sophie, grandmama to this baby, took the baby and named her Gisela Louise Marie. <laughs> okay, funny story about that name, Gisela. I just have to say, it's written Gisela. And as a matter of fact, you know, on the birth certificate, it does have two L's, but um, she never went by two L. And my sister, whose name is Gretchen, a German of a name as you can come across. Um, you know how you're in German class or Spanish class and you have to pick a German name? They wouldn't let her use Gretchen. <laughs> a thrown name. So she had to pick another name that started with G and she saw this and she said, oh, Gisela, that's very pretty. And then the teacher started calling her Gisela. And she's like, ah, what? That's not what I signed up for. I'm going to change it. Nope. So she was Gisela all year and that firmly stuck in my memory <laughs> that in German, it's Gisela. So I saw it. I had to tell my sister. But you had to this, tell me, too, because I was saying Gisela. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a weirdly specific thing to yeah. have happened in my past, you know. But that name actually is a throwback homage to a Bavarian princess of the 900s who had married Hungary's first king. It's a little reminder of Austria's long ties to Hungary, who were still rumbling about wanting independence. So there's that. So it, it did have a political reason. So Gisela means pledge. So that's kind of nice. A little pledge from us to you, Hungary, that will always be friends. And Louise is a version of Sissy's own mother's name, Ludovica. Ludovica is Louisa, uh, anglicized. And um, she was supposed to have been this child's godmother, but had been trapped at home by a measles outbreak and asked Aunt Sophie to act as proxy. And that's all she needed to whip this child out of her daughter-in-law's hands too, off to the secluded nursery that she went. 
After a while, and fair enough, FJ had giant affairs of state to deal with. I just want to tell you, he lived in interesting times and not in a good way. So he is not playing golf. You know, Mm -hmm. he's doing stuff that is really serious. Um, So perhaps we can forgive his slowness to wake up to the unnatural state of affairs in his own family. But he became concerned after a while that Sissy never seemed to be allowed in. It took him a while. In fact, the oldest daughter was actually talking by the time he noticed. And he wrote his mother a polite note, having made a decision. And that's all caps, a decision. Polite note. We are removing our daughters to their own quarters. The Empress finds the stairs to your rooms physically tiring. She is not strong enough. And certainly you should be relieved of the tiresome responsibilities at your age. We're going on an official trip, and when we come back, the change will occur. The following arrangements have been made. You know, he gave her every opportunity to save face with this note. But no, Aunt Sophie laid it all out. Sissy wanted to turn him against her. Sissy is horrible. Sissy is incompetent. She's ridiculous. She cannot be trusted with anything. Your daughters need the stability and upbringing that only I can provide. And so, you know what? He left her on red a few days. (laughs) (laughs) and then he laid it all out at his next opportunity number one you are being a tyrant number two last time i saw my daughter she was choking on a button so maybe less accusations of incompetence number three your rooms are full of intrigue that i do not want my daughters to be exposed to and number four i'm certain the girls will thrive wherever the empress their mother chooses to place them pa-pow Finally, finally, her children were taken from the clutches of their grandmother. But FJ suddenly woke up to some other simmering conflicts on the heels of this domestic one. A region in Italy that had been under Austrian control was chafing under the Austrian governors and rebellion was bubbling up and he needed to see for himself what was going on. So what he's hearing from Italy, there are people in his name they are ruling called the hangman of Mantua the terrible Spaniard, the hyena of Brescia. What the heck is going on out there in my name? And so as soon as he got back home, he was off to Italy. If you've ever been on back-to-back business trips, you know how it is. You just, I'm going to throw more underwear in this bag. That's what he did. His trunks were literally still in the hallway. Sissy asked to go with him. And he remembered what an advantage she'd been on that Hungary trip and how different the second half of that same trip had been without her. And the babies should come. Hello, Italy. You're the first to welcome my daughters. Yes, yes. Good plan. Now, at the last minute, though, they thought they would just take Sophie, the older one, and leave Gisela at home. They had a troubling reception. Those dudes had not paved the way well for him to show up. Austria was viewed as the oppressors of 40 some years. There'd been official violence and it wasn't good. And in their first city, someone detonated all the celebratory fireworks like in the building and it set fire to large parts of the city. <laughs> That's bad. Yep. And and they destroyed a display that had been built to welcome them. Oh, uh, oh. And then when they got to Venice, crowds came to gawk at the new empress. And there was murmuring. Oh, she's very beautiful. And blah, blah, blah. But like, officially, no cheering. A silent parade. Oh, is that embarrassing? I mean, they're just like all this pomp and there's like nothing happening. No one came to call at all. They sat in their palace. Everyone knew they were there. No one came to say hello. No one. Then they held an event and it was 
very poorly attended. Anyone who could stayed away. Some of the more polite ones went ahead and came, but people stood outside and noted who came just out of politeness because they were taking the names down for the purposes of shunning anyone who came to call on the emperor. And Franz Joseph drooped. This was very bad. And Sissy determined that she was going to use her skill of talking to everyone to get to the bottom of this. No one here had met her husband. He had not acted against them personally. There must be something else going on. What was it? Sissy asked around. She started her campaign. She's at the theater, hardly attended. Why, she asked, are there armed guards at the theater facing the audience? Sometimes, your majesty, the audience does not stand when our anthem is played. Our anthem. We threaten to shoot people because they're not standing when our anthem is played. Yes, your majesty. Huh. Okay. That's not good. What didn't come out in her investigations? Palazzos had been taken over by Austrian officials. People were thrown in prison for the slightest offense. Uh, Mistreatment was an epidemic, all in the emperor's name. And she went to her husband and told all the stories. Believe me, my dear, the hatred of these people cannot possibly be more intense. I'm surprised they haven't blown us up. No wonder no one cheered. And he's like, what am I supposed to do after all these decades? I don't know. What can I possibly do? And she gave him a good piece of advice. Accustomed to female advice, he listened to her. You have to show your humanity. You have to show them you're a decent man and you're on their side. And he thought about what could he do immediately and, and also in the future. And so the next day he started. So he released some political prisoners and he also lowered the taxes for everyone who doesn't like that. And he restored property that had been seized by his officials. Like, oh, no, I'm going to boot out the right people. As soon as we get to the bottom of who really owns these houses, you can have them back. We'll post a list. You know, come check the list to see if your property has been restored to you because these dudes are propping up a corrupt infrastructure and I'm no longer going to support this. And guess who talked like they always do? The servants in the palace ran home and told everyone how the empress had cried and had begged her husband for mercy for the people of Italy. And as Terry Pratchett says, a lie can run around the world faster than the truth can get its boots on. And I won't say it's a lie. It was maybe an exaggeration. You know, by the Mm. end, she had thrown herself at his feet and kneeled and begged and mussed her hair. And it was like a big drama. And if if only, you know, she's rending her clothing at her breast and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, it's very Italian by the the time the telephone game had happened. And before many hours had passed, it was a brand new dawn over here. You know, the nobility couldn't wait to call or be in Sissy's presence at the opera. Presents poured in for little Archduchess Sophie. Sissy gave her card or a a glove or some token to people who approached her on the street with an issue like, here's your pass. I'll I'll see you at the palace. I don't know what your situation is. You have to talk to officials, but, you know, tell them I sent you or whatever. And back home, Aunt Sophie was livid. Remember, her friend, her best friend, Countess Esterhazy, traveled with the young couple and she wrote everything back. Lurid details of talking to, like, dirty people and everything. Ew. The exact opposite um, embellishments that the Italians were doing. 
Yes, exactly. And of course, Aunt Sophie's position is the monarchy is to be feared. What is this liberal nonsense of caring what people thought of it? How dare her great enemy, Sissy, introduce such reforms? So the blame, as well as all the credit, was Sissy's, even though it's a conversation between husband and wife. And it's like, now it's like Sissy the demon, Sissy the angel. Right. Such is history, man. So the troubles were not sunny as they left Venice. I mean, there were some city gates that stayed barred. Other places received them with silent fury, but the stress built again. But FJ had a framework of what to do. In Milan, he did the same thing. General pardon of political prisoners, restoration of property, organized entertainments, and the disbelieving populace actually looked around in joy. Like the reign in terror seems to be over. In public appearances, the emperor and empress were met by applause. And he said to them, if you give me another chance, I would like to send my favorite brother, Max, to serve you as my viceroy here. He is of my heart and he will be good to you. Hooray. And at least on the surface, things seemed to be mended. Certainly it was better, but was it enough to be determined? For now, though, flush with the glow of accomplishment, the imperial family headed for home, and Vienna was very proud of them both. So it was with great surprise that Sissy found a horrible pamphlet left in her rooms, a stern rebuke against our own, episode one, Marie Antoinette, who, through no fault of her own, as we remember, had been unable to produce an heir for France until 11 years after her wedding. Someone had found this in the Hofburg Palace archives and recycled it for Sissy's benefit. And it says in part, the natural function of a queen is the bearing of heirs to the crown. That king who once said to his wife, Madame, we have married you in the hope you would give us sons, not advice, provided the whole world with a lesson on how to put ambitious females in their place. The destiny and true purpose of a queen, therefore, consists in safeguarding the succession. When she swerves from this duty, she becomes a source of evil. She ought never to interfere in government affairs, which, due to the folly of her sex, cannot be entrusted to women. If the queen does not bear sons, she remains a stranger to the realm and a most dangerous alien to boot, since she cannot hope to feel welcome, but must live under the constant dread of being returned to the place she came from. She will try to enslave the king through unnatural means to the destruction of crown, dynasty, and nation. Yikes. That's not too pointed, is it? Whoever could have left such a note? Hmm. Short list. Begins with an S and ends with an E. (laughs) And this is probably a good time for us to stop today. At the height of drama, uh, both happy and sad all at once, as life so often is. So we will return in two weeks with the rest of the story of Empress Sissy of Austria. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you learned today, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Follow us on Instagram to get bonus clues and behind the scenes looks at this whole operation. And actually, I have to tell you, the Pinterest board for this episode is going live, but there are spoilers mixed in from the part two of Sissy's Life. So up to you. Just fair warning. We do have a board for every episode over there, so you can just jump in with whoever you'd like. The music in the middle is the classic Mendelssohn Wedding March, as envisioned by heavy metal guitarist Daniel Batista, and The Argument by Aaron Sparks. 
And the end song is Checkmate by T.S. Hartley, a little nod to the wonderful and healthy relationship between Aunt Sophie and Sissy. See you next time. You're just a word away You're like a crocodile This is your favorite game You're not a face in the crowd You're just so cool that it aches But I blend in with style So check me So here it is again A case of friendly hate It will come back in the end So check me So here it is again